The following program is rated mature. What you are about to hear contains explicit language and adult themes, including and not exclusive to beep this out, beep this out, beep this out. I'm changing my tone, but please beep it out and beep this out, but make that beep very long. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the only podcast that pits Jane Austen against all three Bronte sisters, but then takes like months long breaks from actually doing that and um, explores other writers and just, you know, other things related to the Brontes and Austens and Gaskells as well. I am your host, Lauren Burke, Team Bronte. And I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, Team Austin. So obviously you've heard the content warning. That means you might know what's coming up. That's right, Naughty Bonnets. The only time that Lauren really lets me swear and then sometimes bleeps out half of the words I say, but then lets me say other really awful things. Uh, We first dropped a Naughty Bonnets in December last year. If you haven't heard it already, it included very special guests, Summer Sparrison and Mary Cravener. And we talked about Sexy Pride and Prejudice and Sexy Northanger Abbey. I did a John Thornton impression that I'm not doing this time. So if you want to hear it. Yeah, sadly, because it was great. The best thing I've ever done. (laughs) True content with a capital C. So you can go and listen to that one. But today we've got different stories for you. We've got three different stories. It's true. It's true story. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that was a terrible transition. Um... But uh, yeah, I I went ahead and interviewed uh, three people about, um, you know, their Naughty Bonnets experience. Hannah and I did not read any of these books. Just full disclosure, guys. (laughs) Because we we just came off of a read-along. Yeah, exactly. We just had the read-along for the shuttle and we've been doing other things. And I technically um, read two books for that read-along. That is true. That is true. (laughs) And I definitely read three. So, um, you know, you guys did the heavy lifting on this one. But before we dive into these naughty stories, Hannah, I want to tell you a little bit about my first time with erotic fiction. Okay, I'm glad that sentence continued because I was like, we don't have to we don't have to like in the moment write an erotic fiction about your first time. (laughs) True. Yeah, no one really wants to hear that. I was in Um, the library one day when... uh... (laughs) I wish it started that way, but I will tell you this, NPR was in the background. Anyway. Oh. Oh, dear. Um, Let's actually talk about the first time I found a dirty book. Now, um, this was actually marketed as erotic nonfiction, And it was a book called Me, a sexual memoir that a friend of mine found underneath her mom's bed, along with uh, Flowers in the Attic. Flowers in the Attic is not something that people talk about in England, I don't think. So for English listeners, I've I've read the Wikipedia for this because I've stumbled across it before. And it's about kids that are locked in the attic and they have sex. Yeah. It's, yeah. So Flowers in the Attic, not to be confused with the travel. A song Flowers in the Window, which is not about siblings um, shagging. Oh, missed opportunity. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, yeah, Flowers in the Attic. I know there was a discussion about it once in our Facebook group. It definitely is a book that like, it just has that like underground sort of like, you know, like passed along in dark alleys feel, you know, when you're like, but when you're like 12, like you don't ex- like discover this book at like 35, you discover this book when you're 11 or 12 somehow. Like when you look up the word boobs in the dictionary, it's like, look at this. Like, yeah, look at, look it at, just look at, look at this book. Yeah. It's it's crazy. So, um, yeah, Me is a book that I, you know, I read bits of when I was 12. Uh, like a friend, like, passed it to me and we just kind of, like, giggled over, you know, some of the lines, some of the scenes at a slumber party. And, um, and then years later, I was um, describing this book to um, my sister-in-law. <laughs> of course, like you do. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. It was so over the top, just everything that I was like describing. Cause I was like, yeah. And then this girl gets a job on a sex boat. Sex boats are a thing, right? Sex boat. Yeah. It's like a cruise, but like the activity is sex. So yeah, that's a thing. Um, I, go I was describing this. I'd go on a do you? No. Uh, well, no. you know. I was just. I don't know. I was just trying to <laughs> stay relevant. I guess. I don't. Please don't buy well, me tickets for that. Well, we know some travel agents. So, guys, <laughs> if you're listening and you have a, well, a lead on that, twenty twenty. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, I'm like describing this book to my sister-in-law. And I'm like, this is pretty over the top. I bet this was not a real memoir. So um, then I just, you know, I started looking into it and I kind of couldn't remember very much about it. All I would all I could remember was that um, it was by Anonymous. It was called me. And I could kind of remember the um, the logo for the publisher, which ended up being Bantam, Bantam Books. So um, all I was able to really dig up on this title was that in the 1970s, Bantam published a series of supposedly true sexy time memoirs, and they were called Her, Him, Us, and Me, and they were all anonymous. And these books were like massive bestsellers. So they sold like over like 3.5 million copies. And they were part of this like mainstream paperback porn explosion. Um, In 1985, it was revealed that these books were actually written by an American novelist named Borden Deal. Good name. Yeah. So this guy wrote them. They were not like, you know, true to life, sexy time memoirs. Um, The manuscripts were always uh, delivered to Bantam like via a lawyer. That's so said that he was like protecting his client. Yeah, it was totally extra. Um, I I go back and forth on this because like I'm like, I kind of think that the publisher was in on it. I bet the publisher was in on it and they were just saying like, oh, he leaves them in an unmarked suitcase on the 9 45 a.m train to whatever and then one of our right. interns goes and picks it up and but one <laughs> time he brought the wrong one and it just had financial papers and a packed lunch the sandwich right. was very good you know that's the yeah yeah they probably totally knew i mean they maintained to the very end that they had no idea but i mean this like looking back on the story um i actually ended up buying a couple off of abebooks.com. They are out of print. 
So I went and bought a couple of them recently and I was like, let me just like flip through this story and I was reading through it and I'm like, oh yeah, these are terrible. This is, yeah, there's no way this would be true. <laughs> so um, yeah, I'm sure they knew, um, especially because when it became public knowledge that Borton Deal wrote them, there was sort of like a public call for them to be reprinted. People were like, oh yeah, those books, they should be reprinted. But Bantam was like, no, that's, you know, the sexiness is gone now that we know. Um, so how, how can I bring this around to Austin and Bronte? I'm so intrigued. This, this is what I was thinking the whole time I was writing down the story. I was like, this is completely unrelated to this podcast, but it's sort of about publishing and sort of about sexy time books. So here we go. Um, while I was doing my research, trying to like sort of track down more info about these books, I did find a review of them, which was one in the mini series um on amazon and here's what this review said i first read this and others in the same series when i was 12 years old i found them in the basement of our house collecting dust along with hundreds of other books from our family's collection along with jane austen's sense and sensibility which is still my favorite after so many years yeah lady chatterley's lover which i tried reading for the title but soon gave up because it was more about societal class love in post-World War I Britain than actual sex. These books were pure gold for a 12-year-old in the age when there were literally only 50 pages on the World Wide Web, and it took five hours to download a single image. So I've got one question. I've got one question. Yeah. yeah. They're like, Lady Chatley's Lover doesn't have any sex in it. <laughs> Neither does Sense and Sensibility. I know. So what version of Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility were they reading that that had enough sex in it in comparison to Lady Chat? You know, you know the book I'm trying to say. <laughs> like, right? what was that? Was that a Naughty Bonnet version? It must have been. They're like, I would, I love, I would love it if like to this day they think that Sense and Sensibility like has sex in it. Their you know? version had 12 pages about Willoughby's dick in it. Like, that's what it yeah. is. And also, I will say, like, he probably had one brief, like, fling with uh, Marianne and the rest of it is him just wanking, right? So, <laughs> Hannah, we'll have to get you to, like, write. I'm a nice guy. Sense and sensibility. Feel sorry time. for me, please. Flap, 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 Ooh. flap, flap. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so. I will say another thing that this commenter brings up, which is like absolutely perfect, is that as the Internet. Because um, these books were very, very popular in the 70s up until the early 90s, not just like him, her, they, us, all that, you know, all that pronoun business. Um, but like just, you know, paperback porn in general mm -hmm. was like having an explosion during this like 20 year time period. But of course, it was brought down by the Internet. Yeah, that Remember makes those sense. days. Remember those days? Yeah. So, um, so yeah. There we go, guys. There's my story. I brought it back around to sort of fit <laughs> our podcast. <laughs> Very awkwardly. But um, if you guys in the comments for this episode would like to share your first time, your first erotic. Yes, your first time with erotic fiction, time. please. Yeah, yeah. We don't want those, then, uh, you know, about the other please, time. Please, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, feel free to share the, the book times. 
Anyway, let's jump into some naughty bonnet reviews. The first one comes from listener Allison Verhalen. Now, um, I have to ask you, which, uh, which book did you choose for us? So it's called Emma, the Wild and Wanton Edition. Um, oh. Yeah, and it says that it's by Micah Purcell and Jane Austen. So what they did is they just took Jane Austen's Emma and had someone add in sex scenes. Oh, perfect. Yes. <laughs> so now, I got to let me reread Emma and enjoy sex scenes. <laughs> okay, good. All right. This is like a, at least of a ha- half of a win, I think. Yeah. Now, where does Emma fall on your list of like favorite Jane? Um, I don't know. I've kind of been reorganizing my list lately cuz I'm I'm not Emma somewhere in the middle. Um, okay. it's not my favorite, it's not my least favorite. Um, but I really enjoyed rereading it. Um, I had forgotten okay. how funny Jane Austen could be. And I actually found myself like laughing out loud at some of, some of the things she wrote, not at the sex scenes. <laughs> right. <laughs> but at like sure. actual Jane Austen, just being Jane Austen and making fun of her characters and just being awesome. Um, so yeah, it's definitely somewhere in the middle for me. Probably like a three or a four. Okay. All right. Now, one of my interview questions for you was how closely like do the characters resemble those in the original? So um, I'll ask you a slightly altered question, which is like when it switches over to the sex scenes, mm-hmm. like, do you think those um, characters are different? Do they act differently or like, or do they feel like they're still in keeping with like Jane Austen's original yeah. writing? Yeah, they definitely felt like they were in keeping um, with Jane Austen's characters. I really liked the way that I felt like the sex scenes added to building their relationship. It didn't feel like it didn't make sense at all or like so-and-so would never do that. Um, The way they did it is they actually had um, Emma and Knightley hold off on sex until the very end um, on their wedding night. Um, Okay. Throughout the book, they're both having sexual fantasies about each other. And they're both kind of like, whoa, I can't think that way about this person. That's my best friend. And I've known them my whole life. And this is weird. So I really appreciated getting to see that. um, Because Mm -hmm. I think that's the one thing about Emma that can turn a lot of people off. is just that they have this kind of brother-sister relationship. And then all of Mm -hmm. a sudden it turns into a romantic relationship. And I think that throws a lot of modern readers. Especially since Knightley is so much older. Um, But having, having a scene in particular where Knightley is like, uh, you know, I've been thinking of her as like a child and now she's not. She's a woman and a right. kind of hot woman. So he has to kind of like rethink how he thinks about her, um, which I really appreciated. I thought that worked really well. That's interesting. Now, OK, so I like that they kind of hold off and that they have fantasies. I like that's really that's really clever. Who who else gets it on in the book? Or does anyone else get it on in yeah, the book besides um, these two? So it, okay. It kind of starts off with a bang <laughs> um, because oh. Miss Taylor um, has just gotten engaged to Mr. Weston. And so they're having sex like as soon as they're engaged. And they have kind of a lot of sex because they are newlyweds. So it, mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense. Um, so I appreciated that. And then Harriet isn't having sex with anyone but keeps having um, I don't know what to call them. Um, heavy petting sessions okay. with 
Mr. Martin, there's a scene shortly after we meet Harriet where Emma's like, you know, so Harriet's talking about Mr. Martin a lot. And, you know, Harriet, if you're going to, if I'm going to introduce you into polite society, I need to know that your virtue is still intact. And instead of saying, well, yeah, we fooled around, but I'm still a virgin, like anyone not in a romance novel would say, um, mm-hmm. instead, Harriet gives her a play-by-play of everything she and Mr. Martin did together. Um, oh. which is, yeah, lots of fooling around and groping and some finger fucking, but they never went over the line. Um, and then there's another scene later in the book where Harriet runs into Mr. Martin, like in town and he like pulls her into an alley and they start doing stuff together. But again, they never go over the line, um, until after they're engaged at least, if not until they're married. I like that a lot, actually. I like especially I um, like Emma and like Harriet talking about it, too, because that yes. actually feels like that would that would have happened. Yes. OK, I like yeah, it. That makes so sense. that that actually that's really good. So are there is there anything else in this book that you felt like was really working? Um, no, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, this does feel like it's an, in line with the actual characters. Yeah, I thought so, too. Like decently, like well-written sex scenes. Yeah, I mean, they're still like sex scenes. You're still going to have the typical, like, there's only a few words people use for penis and they never really say like my vagina or anything. They're like the secret part between my legs, which I guess someone of that era would would describe it that way. So that kind of made sense. Um, So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, pretty typical. If, If you've read that kind of stuff, it's along those same lines. Okay. All right. Now, did you have like a favorite scene or favorite like line of dialogue? Um, I think my favorite scenes were Harriet actually getting it on with Mr. Mm -hmm. Martin, um, especially because Harriet is so innocent and like, I don't really know what we did, but I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) So now what's like not working? What was just like the worst, Um, worst part of this? Yeah, I don't know if I would say it didn't work, but it definitely made me uncomfortable. Um, The scene where Mr. Elton proposes to Emma, Mm -hmm. um, and I can't remember how it goes in the original, but in this one, they're in the carriage alone together. And he's like literally throwing himself at her and forcibly kissing her and pulling her onto his lap and she's resisting. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was. I was concerned for Emma for a bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, like, nothing happens. He doesn't actually rape her, but he's, like, groping her and, like, trying to tear her clothes off. And she's like, well, Mr. Elton, you've had too much to drink. Back off. Slow down. Mm-hmm. And he's not really, he's clearly drunk in this scene. So he's not really comprehending um, until a little later, like, what she's really saying. Um, so that was just a really uncomfortable scene for me to Yeah, read. that's really <laughs> upsetting. <laughs> Like, especially because I think that carriage ride in the original text is really funny. Yeah. Like, and, just that and, yeah. realization that, like, oh, no, this woman yeah. is never going to think of you that way. And just, like, I, yeah, I always, um, there are a few lines in that scene that actually always just really make me laugh. Yeah, <laughs> so I that's definitely was not laughing upsetting. this time. I was just like, oh, I really hope I'm going to get out of this. Okay. Um, now... Did you find it, like, ultimately satisfying? Like, do you feel like the sex scenes, like, the added sex, like, added something to the book? Or, you know, have you ever wanted to see any of these characters, like, get it on? 
Yeah, um, I can't say that I ever wanted to see them get it on. Because, um, mm-hmm. you know, Shane Austin is perfection, obviously. But mm-hmm. I I really did enjoy seeing them uh, get together and, like I said, fantasize about each other and getting that added perspective, especially from Mr. Knightley's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed getting to see that. And I do think it added to their relationship. Like I said, getting to see them kind of adjust how they think about each other. I right. think really, really worked and did add to to the story. So you'd recommend this version, you think? Oh, yeah, for sure. Unless oh. the carriage scene is going to make you uncomfortable. Maybe if that triggers anything, maybe skip that scene. Our second Naughty Bonnet review is from Maggie, who is also known as Modern Austin on Twitter and Medium. If you guys want to follow Maggie, her handle on Twitter is mod underscore Austin almost persuaded yes almost persuaded yeah so Uh, what attracted you to this so this was part of a series correct or part of an anthology so yeah it's part of an anthology called bespelling austin uh, sorry bespelling jane austen and Mm -hmm. um i read it i read it a little while ago and so when i when you asked to if anyone wanted to um, ta- have inter- be interviewed about Jane Austen erotica. I remembered this story because there, um, there's at least one like scene that is kind of like a one-handed, you know, reading type of scene um, mm-hmm. between the two uh, main characters that aren't Aunt Elliot and Captain Wentworth, but based on them, and they're Jane Everett and Captain Robert Mitford. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's so that's why I picked it. Um, although, although persuasion, going to be honest, I know how you guys feel about, or at least how Hannah feels about it. it it's not my favorite. It's not my favorite either. It's growing on me, but I would say it's like probably number three. Yeah, I for me it's, right it's actually in the middle. Behind Abbey. So. Uh, oh wow! Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I oh. This is for another time, but I, I no, really no. To love Mortinger Abbey. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Persuasion. And I just recently reread it not too long ago. And yeah, it. Um, so if anything, almost persuaded. Apart from like the romantic story that's in it. And I guess the sex scenes, it's kind of as boring to me as Persuasion. Whoa. So, so yeah, do you, is that your issue with Persuasion? Because you know, I didn't like it. And then I'm sort of like, I spent like a lot of time with it lately. And I'm growing to appreciate aspects of Persuasion. But do you find Anne Elliot boring? I find, well, I find, you know what it is? And it, and I came to realize this reading almost Persuaded. Um, I think that she and Captain Wentworth are almost too perfect. Mm-hmm, you know, they, mm-hmm, yeah. they don't have the flaws that like Lizzie and Darcy have, or even Emma and Knightley have, um, or the Catherine Moreland and like Henry Tilney have. Um, and I guess I like my characters to be flawed in some way. Um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Elliot, you know what? And Elliot has this, she's not like Jane Eyre at all, but there is this quality to her. Maybe it's this interior interiority thing where mm-hmm. that, that always that annoys me with Jane Eyre too, um, kind of this. Uh, oh, I'm quiet and this air of being uh, not above everyone, but I don't know. There's there's a bit of that in Anne Elliot, not as much as with Jane Eyre, but yeah, yeah. Um, almost persuaded. I just remembered this story and um, figured I'd talk about it. 
in, for Jane Austen erotica, which is, so it's, I guess it's not a fully an erotic novel or mm-hmm. erotic short story. Um, it's a, uh, it's a supernatural story written by a romance author who I've never read or heard of before, except for this story called uh, Mary Ballow. Okay. Can you say her name? Yeah. So is it B-A-L-L-O-G-H? I think it's just B-A-L-O-G-H. Okay. Okay. I think I've, I've read something of hers, actually. Yeah, and I know that she was specifically asked by um, um, Colleen Gleason uh, to actually write a story for this because um, Colleen was such a big fan of Mary's, um, and mm-hmm. Mary was just like, "I'm not a supernatural writer, but I'll try." So, and okay. I think it's actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, are most of the story are all the stories like they're all supernatural, and are they all erotic? No, they're not okay. all. Erotic. No, okay. I wish that would be a great. <laughs> so now there's an there's an opening for an anthology of supernatural erotic Jane Austen stories. Like, come I think. on, come on, guys, get on it. <laughs> Let's get on this. Um, there is one that's like based on Emma, Pride and Prejudice, uh, and Northanger Abbey, though. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Now, how closely do you think that the characters in Almost Persuaded um, line up with the original? Um. Yeah, I think they're pretty much exactly the same. Um, so Jane Everett and um, Captain Robert Mitford, um, they, so the thing about the story is that um, the thing that makes it supernatural is that it's about soulmates and how mm-hmm. they have to, they're these two soulmates and they keep, meeting each other in different periods of time. Um, mm-hmm. and But they always end up taking the forms of people who have different stations in life, right? So one okay. will be a class than the other. And so they keep not being able to actually get married or consummate their love in all of these other lifetimes. You know, one of them always ends up rejecting the other. But mm-hmm. then they're reincarnated and they find each other in each life and they're they're destined to keep doing this until they actually get together. So right. so I like the- that idea. That's a full length <laughs> novel idea, actually. Right. This I mean, it could this definitely does need to be flushed out. Like it's it, it's only 90 pages, so it does leave a lot to be desired. But yeah, mm-hmm. I do really like this take on persuasion, this take on um how she's getting at the fact that like, oh yeah, we have to go through life finding each other until we actually get it right and overcome these class differences or all of these hurdles that are put in front of us and actually fall in love. Um, And they take the form, so these soulmates, they take the form of Jane Everett and Robert Mitford. Um, And I would say that they are, they're pretty close to, um, they're maybe a little watered down from the actual, Mm -hmm novel and and of course there isn't the big backstory about um i i think you get to know captain wentworth and and from the flashbacks to obviously when they knew each other previously which this doesn't have because they're just meeting for the first time in almost persuaded um but otherwise they're you know they're basically carbon copies of Anne Elliot and Captain Wentworth. Um, and then the other character, there's a newer character, there are newer characters in this. There's um, a vicar and his wife who uh, Captain Mitford 
is related to. And um, there's a Mrs. Mitford who is Robert's great aunt and in another lifetime was actually Jane Everett's mother when Jane was this woman called Mary. Okay. Um, yes. And Mary was like in love with who Robert Mitford was in this past life um, was this Duke and mm-hmm. Mary and this Duke were in love. Um, they had apparently been secretly married, um, but the Duke ended up dying. And then Mary was so, was so upset and sobbing by this river and she fell into a river and she drowned and everyone thought she committed suicide. And yeah. And, but Jane has always had these imaginings or had these memories of being Mary and oh, once when she was a little girl. Yeah, and once when she was a little girl, like actually went to go visit Mrs. Mitford um at the vicarage and had accidentally called her for mother and yeah, it's it's a whole interesting little backstory. Um I, I like this. Um like was this working for you in this title? Was this the thing that you think is like actually maybe the the strength of almost persuaded? Oh yeah, this is a, this is absolutely the strength. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this whole story is definitely the strength. Um, um, this it basically Jane like ha- was always told she had an overactive imagination. She was told to suppress this. Um, Robert was spending; he was injured, uh, and was in it um, during a battle, and was in India, and was living with this Indian family. And the Indian family was telling him about reincarnation, and through this Indian family. He was kind of given the chance to look at the past lot or remember the past lives that he'd had. So he, when he meets Jane, he has this knowledge of actually knowing that he has a soulmate and he's destined to find her. Jane does not have this knowledge. So he has to kind of take the time to persuade her that, oh, yeah, we're soulmates and we should be together. You know what's funny as you're describing this to me? <laughs> I'm also remembering, I don't know if you remember this. There was a soap opera called Passions. I I don't know. I don't know if I remember it. What is this soap opera? So it it was it's an old soap opera. Uh, I think some of our listeners are going to remember it because I know I've had a conversation with at least one about it. <laughs> okay. But um, it stemmed from another soap opera, I believe, called Sunset Beach, and I don't know somehow the two merged. Anyway. Pat, like Sunset Beach was kind of like your standard soap opera. Passions like had some of the same characters, if I remember correctly, but then it took a supernatural turn. So that's what really like made it stand out. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this was like my favorite show. I can't believe um, it didn't last. But uh, there were like two characters, uh, Sheridan and Miguel, and they actually had a, a very similar story. So they kept meeting in different times and like they would always be like yeah different stations in life sheridan was very wealthy miguel like came from this very working class family that like actually like he had family members that like worked for her i think his mom was like her family's maid um but yeah like they had known each other like on the titanic and obviously that went poorly and just like different (laughs) times you know they had known each other and they had loved each other but something had gone wrong And um, yeah, at one point during the show that they sort of unlocked some of these memories. 
and we're like, oh, we've got to be together. Yeah, passion. Oh, great, great soap opera, guys. There was. I looked it up. Yeah, there was also like a coven of witches in the town, and um, a talking doll, and it was it was it got a little wacky. But uh, the Sheridan and Miguel storyline was was a plus. Yeah, I mean, it definitely creates romantic tension. Like that, yes. I, she doesn't uh, in almost persuaded. Valo doesn't really have to work hard to get that romantic tension because it's immediate. Like they, mm-hmm. uh, he, she, uh, Jane and her two sisters come to visit the vicarage for Mrs. Mitford's 75th birthday. And he, Robert is helping her out of the carriage and like immediately like time freezes and they're both staring at each other because they like know each other instantly and they don't know right. how they know each other right. instantly. Um, and then there are a few scenes where before, the sex scene where they end up having really passionate kissing and like holding each other. And um, that would of course be extremely improper for the time. And Jane says that several, I guess like, right. If I had to pick like weaknesses of the story, it would be that it's not long enough. Like it should definitely be longer because Mm -hmm. some Mm -hmm. of the things feel like, Oh, I just had to throw these points in here to make this make sense. Um, Right. Well, as if she, it was thrown out into a full novel, it would probably flow a lot better. And then um, they're kind of just the author kind of just throws in things to remind you or beat you over the head with the fact that, oh, this is like the Regency era. Um, right. Like she has Jane say over and over again, oh, this is so improper. Or um, I don't know, just kind of when Jane was a little girl and was having what people told her were just um, kind of just things that she was coming up in her imagination, but actually were just, was just her remembering um, a different lifetime. They would use this threat that like, Oh, the gypsies are going to come for you. And the author has to like make note that, Oh yeah. At this time, like gypsy, you know, you could have been burned as a witch or so. I don't know. It was just a little, a little over the top, but um. Now, Mary Bella's a very skilled author, though, in the romance genre. So, like, Wait. how are the sex scenes? Oh, the sex scene is... And we only get one? Do we only get one? Yeah, there's only one. This uh, is why it should be a longer book, right? Right, right. Yeah, so there. the scene happens after... Um, and actually, this is a scene that, like, I could have done without. Uh, they... <laughs> They are, Jane and Robert are like dangling their feet in this river and Robert decides that they're going to go swimming and Jane doesn't know how to swim. And it's kind of this scene of him trying to get her to trust him. So they're basically just like going underwater and looking at each other and then they get out of the water. Um, And then, yeah, they, I wouldn't say it's a super... It's not a super sexy scene, but it's very right. romantic and it's it, it does the trick. Yeah. 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 I think she's pretty capable in that in that area. Yeah. From what I remember. Yeah. I'm going to go and read some of her stuff now. Uh, I, I, I don't really read much romance. So this will be. Yeah. I'm willing to try her stuff out. But yeah, no, the sex scene is great. It happens outside. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, nice. She makes no mention of how closed off there are, if there are a lot of trees around them. Um, but, I, you know, no one spots them. So I guess they're okay. 
Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they do it on Robert's jacket. Um, okay. Nice. You know. Now, did you have a favorite scene or a favorite line? Um, so, hmm. I don't really have, I don't think that she's a good writer. I don't want mm-hmm. it to make it sound like she's not a good writer. I just don't think there's any line or there were any lines that really jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had to pick a favorite scene, it is probably when they first meet because, and they have that moment where their eyes lock and they realize that they know each other, but they're not mm-hmm. sure how they know each other. Because it immediately, so she does a really good job of switching back and forth between Jane and Robert's perspective. And this was the first time it switched immediately to Robert's perspective, Um, which, um, yeah, I guess I really, yeah, I really like that moment when we first get Robert's perspective and it's right after they first meet. Um, And then... There is one line that I do remember Jane saying, and I remember it stuck out to me because it's basically almost exactly like something that Anne Elliot says. Mm-hmm. Um, so she and Robert are kind of walking together and they're kind of talking and acting like they don't know each other and are getting to know each other for the first time. And he asks her something about, um, I guess, what sort of people she likes to hang around with or whether she prefers her own company. And she says, um, I like people who are genuinely cheerful and kind. I like them even better if they have interesting conversation and informed opinions on matters of general concern. But yes, I enjoy my own company too. And that kind of reminded me, I'm pretty sure Anne Elliot says something. Yeah. Almost exactly like that. Um, so that stuck out to me, but only because like, I was like, oh, yeah, this sounds like you just kind of rewarded something Anne said from Persuasion. Right. <laughs> yeah. Now, this actually, this, this sounds great. I'm really kind of sold on this. Would you recommend this to people? Yeah, absolutely. I would. I mean, it's it's a really short read. Mm-hmm. It, um, I mean, I guess it's it's kind of, I guess it's, I don't want to say it's corny. It's kind of breezy. But, yeah. Um, I, I really enjoyed the take on um, how she, I really liked this, I really liked how she interpreted persuasion for a supernatural story. Yeah. I, I, and, yeah. I think too, when you were like telling me about it initially, when just, when you were writing that it was like a supernatural take on persuasion, that I was, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this sounds actually really refreshing. And maybe also it's like, because it's a little bit outside of what Mary Bella usually does. Like maybe she really sort of, yeah, maybe she was really right for the gig, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's not an erotic story per se, but there is sexual tension. There is an actual sex scene. And I think, I think supernatural novels do often, they just have this element of eroticism. I feel. Yeah. Thank you to Maggie. And now over to our last Naughty Bonnet review, which is from Robin over at Drunk Austin. This is Robin's third time on Bonnets at Dawn. And despite being one half of Drunk Austin, we've never managed to discuss Jane Austen with her. So to carry on that tradition, here we go. So now tell everyone what title you chose and and why you chose this title. Okay, it's called Lusty Little Woman. Mm. 
and uh, it's Louisa May Alcott's classic retold as a risque romance. And I didn't choose this title so much as it chose me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I had a friend who used to work for a company called Ulysses Press, and they're based out of New York. And she, uh, a couple years ago now, back when I lived in Boston, sent me probably like five or six of their books that were based Mm -hmm. on classic novels that she knew I liked. So I got a whole bunch of like Pride and Prejudice books and a whole bunch of uh, Austin and Bronte. And one of them was this, Lusty Little Woman by Margaret Mm -hmm. Carroll. And uh, it's pretty thick. Uh, no, it's huge. It's, yeah, it's uh, 500, 550 pages-ish. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, it's got some heft to it. And uh, it's more or less word for word the entirety of Little Women. Okay. Uh, but with inserted scenes and... Um, what's the word? Uh, motivations. Okay. Have sure. different explanations. Uh, um, so, like, at the very beginning of the novel, Marmy's not out of the house early Christmas morning because she's out helping the poor. She's out having sex with the town doctor. Whoa. Yeah. Cheating on her husband is, like, a thread in a good chunk of the book. Uh, because she needs... Her husband has abandoned her for the war, and she needs you know, the comfort of a man and she has to take care of her daughters if he never comes back and which Marmy would never never do, but okay. Uh, Yeah. So there's just different motivations for the same plot, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's interesting. That really changes the character up. Yeah. Uh, Does anyone else have like sort of a drastic change in this one? They all... Have, I mean, the only person that doesn't really have, like, a lustful scene uh, mm-hmm. is Beth. And okay. that's partially, I think they may have raised the ages a little bit in the book to make it less weird. Sure. Because you have to remember, Little Woman was written as a children's book. Like, it was meant for right. children as, like, a morality tale. Um and so to give these women, you know, different motivations that are specifically uh, risque is to make a children's book risque. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine somebody doing that with Dr. Seuss? No. Right. It, it doesn't happen. And so it's just a little weird. Uh, when she, there were parts of the book where I just straight up laughed out loud at mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. that weren't supposed to be funny. But... Uh, you know, Marmee Marmee just is has such different character. She's not like the loving mother. I mean she still is. Right. Joe sees her hugging the doctor at one point and that's a threat that gets carried through and she like asks her mother about it and like Marmy has to lie. And I'm like, This isn't Marmy. No, no, no. Right, yeah. Um, the one thing that I did really like was that uh, Joe and Lori, their arc is really almost better explained by... Okay, interesting. Yeah, so, like, Joe 
wants like a friends with benefits relationship. Emphasis okay. friends. And mm-hmm. um, that I feel like really fits her character. Uh, yeah. Her original character really well. So if you like took Josephine Marge out of 1861 and plopped her in 2018, this is exactly what would happen. She'd find a guy who was super into her and she'd mm-hmm. be like, yeah, I'm willing to like mess around with you. But this isn't, I don't want it to go past that. And like, I feel right. like that's a really good, uh, true to the character retelling. But then you've got like Meg, who for a time is hitting on Lori, which is weird. Mm-hmm. And she like lets her sister have him. And okay. uh, the scene when she's at the Moffitt's ball, do you remember that? Mm-hmm. She goes yeah, yeah. to the dress. Uh, she has like a scene with Ned Moffat, the brother, where he like takes advantage of her and like she stops him. She's like, Oh, you know, like I want a rich man and if we go any further, this has to lead to marriage and he basically he literally says in in this copy, he's like, uh, you know, if I thought that I could marry you, you wouldn't be on this couch right now. Oh, Jesus. And she slaps him, which she should. But then mm-hmm. later in the book, like you know, it's like, oh, I should apologize for slapping him, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, no, no, you shouldn't. <laughs> that was the no, yeah. whole thing you did. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, it's pretty cute. I In my reread of it, I didn't get all the way through. So I got to the point where Meg and Mr. Brooke are, um, you know, kind of circling each other. And mm-hmm. you think that, like, Meg being the eldest would have the most experience. She doesn't. Mm-hmm. She doesn't. Uh, she comes back from parties sometimes with stories to tell Joe in this book of people getting under her skirts in dark corners. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, but it's really Joe's relationship with Lori that, like, is responsible for most of the sex scenes. And when I say sex scenes, okay, I don't yeah. mean, like, Harlequin romance sex scenes, like... There's no mm-hmm. quivering members, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of like, just like innuendo. It's okay. It's tastefully done in a very um, obvious way, if that makes sense. Like, you know what they're okay. talking about, but they don't get into like, uh-huh. you know, certain words that you would expect to find in like a, a real like romance novel, if that makes any sense. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All it's right. A lot of like, oh, his hand wandered towards her intimate area. Like, and then it kind of stops and like, oh, and he brought her over the crest, but there's no mm-hmm. like, description of what he did to do that. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Do you feel like the, um, like the inserted scenes are, like, how's the quality of those scenes? Because I have read, you know, the books where it's just, it's the original text, and then we just have these extra scenes. Do you, Is it jarring to totally, like, jump to this other scene or this other writer? It, or does she tend to, like, mesh pretty well? Okay, so I would say the only thing jarring about it is the content is jarring. Because... Mm-hmm. You'll like you'll be reading the story and it's like you're rereading Little Women and I was like I was honestly listening to the story on audiobook, you know, thinking like God, how long has it been since I actually read Little Women all the way through? Mm-hmm. It's been a while, um, and then we'd, you know, mesh into the scene that I didn't quite see coming, and I'm like, oh, this must be an add-on because this is getting risque, 
So it's mm-hmm. obviously an add-on because that was never in the original novel. Mm-hmm. Um, like Lori will pull Joe into an alleyway, but it's well written. Like okay, it's written like Alcott, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense at all. But sure, yeah. Uh, the content is not Al- Alcottian. I like. And I like what you said earlier, like, this is, I mean, this is a children's novel. Yeah. It's weird. Is it? Can you see I know, like, is it satisfying? I know, right? God. I mean, is it satisfying in any way to see these characters, like, get it on in the bedroom? Or is it, is it something that you've, you've thought about before or wanted? <laughs> I'm going to lose all my credibility. Uh, <laughs> I, okay, I think you're lying if you never thought about Winona Ryder and Christian Bale. Sure. Fair. <laughs> um, fair. So there's definitely, you know, like the stork didn't bring Meg's babies. Okay. Right. <laughs> like, right. There's, there's some in the original novel, but like the best scenes are not who you'd think. They're not between Joe and Laurie necessarily. The best scenes are mm-hmm. actually, this is, Oh, God, this is so bad. The best scenes are between <laughs> Marmy and Mr. Lawrence. Oh, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they start like a thing. Um, oh, Marmy can get it. Marmy ca- Mommy can and does get it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a... Uh, I, I can't say I've ever, like, devoted time to thinking about this before. But now sure. that I know it exists, it makes sense. <laughs> Would you recommend this to the adult Alcott fan? I think people who are Alcott purists are going to hate it for sure. obvious reasons. Uh, because it does strip away a lot of what I think people love about Alcott, which is the sort of like purity. Mm-hmm. Also, it's really, really jarring to read a scene with Marmy doing things that Marmy would never do. And then in the next paragraph or page or what have you, she is still spouting the sort of morality lesson that is typical right. of her character. And mm-hmm. so the original novel is so sugary sweet that you expect that. Right. But in this book, it comes off as hypocritical. Um, yeah. So it's a little hard to, to square. Uh, however... If you're like me, and you will hate watch TV shows, this is a good book to hate read. Right. Because it's it's so bad it's good. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I wouldn't say it's worth your time, but it's certainly uh, something uh, interesting to have read. I don't regret reading it. I... This is, I could have spent my time on better things, though, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a book. <laughs> okay. I've got to say it, Robin. People do. People do write sexy fiction of children's books because I grew up reading them. We, Lauren and I were talking about whether or not I'd read, like, much, um, like, sex sex fiction I guess and I was like no I never <laughs> never really read it Danielle still kind of put me off when I was a kid 
And then I was listening to this episode and I was like, hang on a second, Harry Potter fan fiction, that stuff. I used to read so much R-rated Harry Potter fan fiction. I would just sit there at the computer, which was like in the hallway, tucked under the stairs. My mom would just be walking back and forth, like past me. And she's like, oh, she's reading. Little did she know, little did she know that I was reading absolute trash about, you know, (laughs) everyone was shagging everyone. And there's all these like, they call them ships, like the romantic pairings are called ships. So you've got like HMS Mirror. That's Fred and George Weasley having sex. Read a couple of those um fire and ice that's Ginny Weasley and Draco Malfoy and these these are children so many stories about children having sex with uh Professor Snape actually so oh that's really some real weird stuff and as a kid I was like this is just a story <laughs> and now I think back <laughs> to what I was reading and it's like oh that that was pretty dark Big thanks to all of our readers this week um if you guys want to check out these titles they are, again, Bespelling Jane Austen, an anthology from Harlequin, Emma, the Wild and Wanton Edition from Crimson Romance. God, I'm so stuffy. <laughs> you can't tell, honestly. Really? Okay. Yeah, it's not that bad. And Lusty Little Women from Ulysses Press. So, yeah, guys, get on it like a bonnet. Um, I know a few other people were interested in doing some, you know, erotic reviews for us. So don't worry. You know, you still can. Just uh, let us know when you're ready to do those reviews. You can either um, do them interview style with me or you can send in an audio memo, actually, and send that to uh, our email address, which is Hannah. Bonnets at dawn at gmail.com. Good. Good shout. Imagine me like blowing imaginary smoke off my gun hand. Because mm. I did so well at saying that email. You did. Where else are we on the internet? Well, you can find us as always on Instagram and Twitter at Bonnets at Dawn. And you can find us on Facebook by searching Bonnets at Dawn in the search bar and answering a couple of very quick questions. And then you can join our vibrant community true story okay guys thank you so much for joining us this week and we will be back next week to talk some austin bronte gaskell alcott Alcott. nonsense at your face yeah burnett her too it's getting long it is getting long right (laughs) next year even longer bye